Delicious meets nutritious in the snack that packs a real protein punch, wonderful pistachios. Each one-ounce serving of wonderful pistachios has six grams of protein, giving you over 10% of your daily value and making wonderful pistachios one of the highest protein nuts. But perhaps more than that, I love all of the flavors they have. Their sea salt and vinegar ones are my favorite when I'm craving that flavor but want to keep it healthy. But that's just the tip of the iceberg. Wonderful pistachios come in a variety of flavors, like chili roasted, honey roasted, smoky barbecue, and jalapeno lime, perfect for enjoying with family and friends or taking them with you on the go. Whether you're a pistachio purist who loves cracking open every nut or you prefer the convenience of no-shells pistachios, Wonderful Pistachios has got you covered. Grab Wonderful Pistachios and elevate your snacking game today. So fill up with a healthy snack when hunger strikes. Visit wonderfulpistachios.com to learn more. That's wonderfulpistachios.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. It's another Q&A edition of Optimal Health Daily, episode 1260, and I'm Dr. Neil, your host of the show. Welcome back to another special Friday edition of Optimal Health Daily, where I answer your questions. On the other days, I read health and fitness blogs to you, kind of like an audiobook. It's been a while since I've talked about my credentials, so I guess it's time I discuss a little bit about my background. I refer to myself as Dr. Neil because, well, it's not just a nickname. I do have my Doctor of Public Health degree where my emphases were chronic disease prevention and nutrition. I also have my Master of Public Health degree where my emphases were health promotion and health education. I'm also a registered dietitian nutritionist, a certified health education specialist, and a certified exercise physiologist through the American College of Sports Medicine. When I'm not doing this podcast, I'm actually full-time faculty within the California State University system. I've also been interviewed by over 70 different media outlets for my expertise on basically all things I talk about on this show. I've presented research at national conferences, and I've published peer-reviewed research. All right, enough about me. Let's finally get to today's question and start optimizing your life. Now, today's question came via email. Annie writes, Hello there. Thanks so much for all of your input. I love listening to the podcast. So helpful and informational. I'd like to ask a question. I've been having horrible bloating problems the past couple of years. I went to doctors for advice. I've been to a nutritionist, took some antibiotics. I did an ultrasound, an endoscopy. I've taken gluten and lactose and egg allergy tests and all returned negative. But I still suffer from this extreme bloating problem every day. I feel as big as if I were five months pregnant, along with gas pains and stomach acidity once in a while. I've talked with some friends who've also had the same issues at different times. I've also heard from others that this is a very common, normal thing. But why? I've never heard of this before I had the problem. And what would be normal about it? For all of this to cause so much pain and discomfort? Is it that people are just simply starting to speak up about it more? Or is it due to our diets or the quality of foods that we have today? I've always eaten very healthfully and have not really been on any strict diets. 
I don't eat junk food, I exercise regularly. Basically, I do everything I can to stay healthy. I'm quite frustrated as I feel I've tried everything and with no success. Thanks for any help or advice you would have on this topic. Super appreciate it. Thank you so much for your question and kind words, Annie. I'm so glad you enjoyed the show. And thank you for having the courage to ask an uncomfortable question like this. Now, I have to start with my usual disclaimer. Any recommendations I provide should always be discussed with your doctor. Now, because I'm not a medical doctor, as I explained in the intro, I can't and won't diagnose you because that's outside my scope of practice and would therefore be unethical of me. What I can do, of course, is provide some guidance. I'm so sorry that you've had to experience this discomfort for so long. It sounds like you've already had a number of tests to try and figure out what's going on. Everything from food allergy testing to trying to get rid of an infection, an ultrasound, and even an endoscopy. Unfortunately, it sounds like those tests have come back with very few answers. So again, I can understand your frustration. Gastrointestinal issues in general are notoriously tricky to diagnose. This is because the underlying causes can range from bacterial or viral infections to a food allergy to stress and even our exercise habits. Now, going back to the endoscopy, I realize you've had one, but what I wanna ask is, have you had a lower endoscopy procedure specifically, basically a colonoscopy? The word endoscopy is a general term that basically refers to a doctor inserting a camera into the GI tract. So doctors can perform an upper endoscopy where they look at what's referred to as the upper portion of the GI tract, the esophagus, stomach, and small intestine, for example. But they can also perform a lower endoscopy, also known as a colonoscopy. That's where they look at the large intestine and rectum specifically. If you hadn't had a lower endoscopy or colonoscopy performed yet, I would discuss this with your doctor to see if they would recommend one. This is because it may provide a better overall picture of the health of your GI tract. Now, it is recommended that everyone have a colonoscopy performed at least once around their 50th birthday. But for those that have underlying gastrointestinal conditions or are experiencing gastrointestinal discomfort, like you, Annie, having one performed earlier in life may be recommended. Many people are afraid of going through this procedure. The preparation for it is the worst. Now, because of my own chronic disease history, I can say that I've gone through about oh, a baker's dozen colonoscopies. My first colonoscopy was when I was 19. So I'm pretty used to it and can honestly say it's not that bad. The mental stress we put ourselves through before the procedure is usually worse than the actual prep or the actual procedure itself. If I can put up with it, anyone can, trust me. Anywho, beyond getting a colonoscopy, if your doctor hasn't ruled out irritable bowel syndrome, I would suggest discussing that with them. Irritable bowel syndrome, also known as IBS, likes to work in mysterious ways. We often don't know what causes it, Is it food-related? Is it stress? Is it something else entirely? Plus, it tends to come and go without warning. Some days are great, other days can be very uncomfortable. The symptoms of IBS include gas, bloating, and bouts of diarrhea or bouts of constipation, or both. Now again, foods can trigger IBS symptoms. So can stress. Annie, you've mentioned you've been tested for food allergies. But have you carefully looked at which foods may be triggering your gas and bloating symptoms? Because it may not mean you have an allergy to them. It just may mean they aggravate those symptoms specifically. 
One of the best ways to monitor this is through a detailed food journal. You write down everything you eat and drink for at least two weeks and make a note anytime you experience the symptoms you described. If it doesn't seem to be food-related, you can also try keeping a stress journal. Stress is a known trigger for a lot of conditions. In fact, we talked about that earlier this week. But stress and IBS symptoms tend to go hand in hand. The gut-brain connection is quite strong. I'm gonna go back to foods, though. If you haven't tried something called the low FODMAP diet, I would discuss that with your doctor too. The low FODMAP diet is an eating plan created by researchers at Monash University in Melbourne, Australia. They found that certain natural compounds found in common foods can aggravate gastrointestinal discomfort in people sensitive to those compounds. Again, it's not a food allergy, it's just a sensitivity. Now the word FODMAP is actually an acronym for fermentable, oligosaccharides, disaccharides, monosaccharides, and polyols. These are fancy names for specific carbohydrates. Basically, the diet encourages less consumption of foods that contain these specific carbs. What ends up happening is the body naturally ferments these carbohydrates. This occurs as part of the digestion process. Now, as part of that fermentation process, waste gases are produced. And in those that are sensitive, these waste gases can cause a great deal of discomfort, like gas and bloating. So by limiting the consumption of these foods, less waste gases are produced. In fact, studies have shown that when a low FODMAP diet is followed in those that are sensitive, the odds of experiencing less stomach pain and bloating are 75% or higher. Now I mention all of this because if you decide to keep a food journal and monitor your symptoms, you may want to consider monitoring how you respond to a low FODMAP diet. So which foods should you avoid while following a low FODMAP diet? Now, it's gonna be difficult to list every single one here, but Monash University's website has some fantastic resources. In the meantime, I'll list some common foods to avoid according to this eating plan. So these would include wheat, barley, and rye, garlic and onion, certain fruits, like those with a large pit. Sometimes these are called stone fruits. So we're talking mangoes, peaches, nectarines, plums, and cherries. Notice how they all have large pits compared to the actual flesh of the fruit. Apples and watermelon should also be avoided. Certain vegetables, asparagus, Brussels sprouts, cauliflower, mushrooms, and snow peas. Beans and lentils, basically all varieties and some sweeteners like agave and high fructose corn syrup. Now, I should mention that avoiding some of these foods is not a permanent thing. You can try limiting these foods for three to eight weeks. Then you can slowly reintroduce them back into your diet one by one. Because many of these high FODMAP foods are important to consume as part of a nutritious and balanced diet, long-term avoidance of some of these foods can increase disease risk. So again, Discussing this eating plan with your doctor would be a good idea. Many people have found quite a bit of relief by avoiding some of these foods and following a low FODMAP eating plan. I hope you feel better soon, Annie. When you're hiring, it feels amazing to finally close out a job search. But what if you could get rid of the search and just match? You can with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. 
Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites. One of the things I love about Indeed is that it filters out incompatible applicants. So when you're hiring, the process is much faster and you only have to consider applicants that are already likely to be a great fit. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at indeed.com slash health. Just go to indeed.com slash health right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash health. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Thank you again so much for the question, Annie. You're gonna be entered into a very small raffle every month to win a book. And if you wanna submit a question and have a chance to win books, you can email a question to health at oldpodcast.com. That's what Annie did. But you can also call in your question. That's if you want to hear your voice on the show. The number is 61-I-LOVE-O-H-D. Or you can submit your audio question at oldpodcast.com slash ask. All right, that's another Q&A edition of Optimal Health Daily. Thank you so much for listening every day. Thank you for listening all the way through. Thank you for sharing this show with someone. And I'll see you back here over the weekend where your optimal life awaits.